this, 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 this show is brought to you by Safety FM. Hi listeners, this is Brent Sutton. Welcome to the 58th episode of the Practice of Learning Teams podcast show. Today I conclude the conversation with the three authors, Tony, Ron and Jim, on their new book, Critical Steps, Managing What Must Go Right in High-Risk Operations, published by CRC Press and due for release on November 17th and available on Amazon and hardback, paperback and Kindle versions. The theme of the book reflects the title, the overarching goal of managing critical steps is to maximise the success of people's performance in the workplace, to create value for the organisation without losing control of built-in hazards necessary to create that value. This book is great. It is so pleasing to see more bodies of work in the new view of safety that are focused on the how and the when rather than the what and the why. Please sit back and enjoy this conversation on critical steps with Tony, Ron, and Jim. You, you know, the, the idea of measures and metrics, I was uh, I was reviewing our book and, and I would do a, a word search of this, that, and the other. And I don't know, I came to this and, and I offered it up to these gentlemen uh, on one of our sections of how to uh, weave this in. And, and I, I, I spent my last eight years at the National Lab, Idaho National Lab, as a research scientist in human factors, and uh, measures and metrics are important, and, and measuring things is important. But how how do you act on those things? And and one of the interesting conclusions we came to, and it's tied to these things we're talking about, is there's um, really four unique things that bring safety. And and I forget how I was researching it and how I came to that conclusion. Uh, but, and then we ended up writing about it and, and it was the idea that there was four components. One was this idea of technical expertise and all of us spent, you know, our first six months in the Navy nuclear program, uh, taking two years of college shoved down our throat and yeah. uh, a variety of subjects uh, at a very rapid pace. Uh, so we would have some technical expertise and, and then we were sent off to do some hands-on work where we learned this concept of chronic unease. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, of, of watching the system and how how it was responding to the actions we were taking or others were taking uh, so that we had this constant sense of unease. Uh, I, and we also understand that the technology could kill us. And, and by the way, if, if your home goes to the bottom of the ocean, you're probably not going to make it. So, you know, that's no. an important thing. Uh, <laughs> don't don't open the door if it's knocking. Yeah. yeah. And, and then when when do you have these very important conversations that Jim brought into the book is how do you bring these conversations in and what are they about? Measuring those conversations and who's having them and at what point in the execution of these, these uh, very important tasks that are occurring. And then the, the last one we already spent time on, which was the idea of expert intuition. But those four things, what, what I discovered when I look back at the book was that we were saying these are the things that bring safety. So how do how does the organization measure measure and then improve those things? And and I think it's the same thing. Um, over time, you don't want to see the same issues continuing to come up. 
And, and, and I think there's this argument that organizations don't want issues. I, I, I would say, you know, embrace it. <laughs> because the fact is those things have to exist. What, what you're wanting to see is you're wanting to see those things change over time. So, so just right. as at the moment, there's a, a lot of fixation about psychological safety. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you know, I, I think there are times where we can cope and there are going to be times when we can cope less. Those things aren't a fixed point. They, they, they go back to it, that, that sort of sine wave, isn't it? Our ability, it's no different to our ability to function in that. Ultimately, I think what we're trying to do is we're trying to avoid people having to be in those constant outliers. They're having to cope too much too often. Because, and I think it's what you're talking about, that, that chronic unease. That, that, that uneasy is actually good for us. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. But what you don't want is you don't want to be in a constant state of chronic unease. Yeah, you can't maintain it. No. No, but but I think you know part, part of this whole thing is that um, you know because we talk about the words resilience and capacity, which have lots of different meanings, lots of different people, then it means we want to measure it. <laughs> and, and I think what we can do is we can see how it shifts over time. But its presence is actually valuable. It's, tr- it's trying to, I think you guys talked about, I love your little diagram, um, uh, the, the ski slope diagram. Mm-hmm. We, we, we talk something similar, we talk about the, the freeway analogy that you're trying to put guardrails either side. But companies are trying to paint um, white lines and put speed signs up the entire time. <laughs> well, the fact is the guardrails are there to support people to function within those, those parameters. Make sense? Um, they're but, there in case you go outside the boundaries. Yeah, yeah. But the, the, the white line or the speed sign is just hope-based risk management. <laughs> <laughs> but I would still prefer they be there. <laughs> well, I, 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 think, I think creating expectations, I think having structure and discipline is really important. Yeah. And that's a safety one mentality. And uh, you still need safety one. You know, it's not it's not an either or; it's a both and. I believe. Yeah, I, I think that the difference here is um, these these critical thinking skills that we talk about, or these mm-hmm. ability to critically appraise. Right. If those skills aren't used, you lose them. Absolutely. So there is that balance in organisation about being over rules focus actually starts to diminish those critical thinking skills. So where do we find that balance? Right. Yeah, right. as, as children, we are highly curious. We lose a lot of, of that curiosity as we get older. Yeah, when I was, when I was, uh, I was an instructor at a nuclear power plant, I used to train nuclear power plant operators. And on the simulator, control room simulator, we would actually uh, throw scenarios. They were really off the wall. You, know, you, you could you, you could argue this will never happen, but what it forced the operators to do is to have those conversations, to think through what is really happening, what it, what what is reality, what you know, it, it, to exercise those critical thinking skills. Yes, Otherwise, so if they, correct. So if they stop that, if they stop mm-hmm. doing that, 
over what period of time do you think that skill would then drop off? Right. Yep. It drops well, off. What we, what we focused on with the Department of Energy was the fact, again, that today is almost never just like yesterday. Mm-hmm. And um, tying into the chronic unease, tying into the ability to continue to question what is really happening and to help folks understand that generally, as soon as you think you've arrived, you've begun your decline. Right. <laughs> yeah. Going back to that idea of chronic unease, you know, we talk about when does the risk actually happen? Going back to our skydiving example, mm-hmm. you know, the risk doesn't really happen until you open the door. Yeah. You know, and that's when that chronic anise should peak <laughs> is when you open the door. <laughs> Good for me. <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't know if you guys saw the most recent one. It was very sad. Last week, um, there's a couple, I believe they were in South America or somewhere for a honeymoon. And, um, and of course, they got a variety of interesting people helping you set up to do a bungee jump which i will never mm-hmm. do by the way uh the same kind of people run carnivals so i, I <laughs> get on carnival rides or do bungee jumps um just the risk management in me but uh the couple's all rigged up and um they had clipped up the the gentleman but not her and they said go and she went and she got she to um, a very very sad ending wow um you know, I, I think that was a really pretty good example of a critical step, um, yeah. but, but one that obviously had an uncontrolled release of energy. You know, one of the things we talk about in this book, and I, I love Tony, how he always phrased this, and I, I've used it ever since I heard him say it was, you know, uh, human error is a loss of control and should be reframed as such uh, in the world of operations. And, and it's so true, you know, if, if we can make a variety of human errors. I've probably made, I don't know how many today, but if they're at the moment of time that, that it's, that it's consequential, that's, that's when it really does matter. Right. Wow. Yeah. Well, um, and sadly, Ron, uh, bunch jumping was another New Zealand invention. So Google it. It was, <laughs> it was spread in New Zealand. I did know that. I did not know that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and, uh, f- f- for you, Jim, we'll do a no strings attached. So it'll be free. <laughs> okay. Nice. Um, but, but once nope. again. You never, um, never see me jump off any good structure with a little rubber band attached to my feet. Uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's okay. It, it's just, yeah. It, but it, it, it spurred a whole line of other things, including bungee cords for strapping down loads. Sure. So it, it spurred sure. a whole lot of other, other industries as a result. Um, yeah. But, but the irony was, um, it is people's, it is people wanting to taste that fear mm. that creates these environments that, that, that we want to do, but we want to do it within a safe component. Um, but yes, it's, it's, it's interesting because even here, um, we've had those types of things, um, happen sadly. Yeah. 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 Um, and in our case, uh, when you come down, Tony, uh, they've got one down by one of the Lord of the Rings sets. But um, and and you actually put your head into the water at the end. So that's so the bungee takes you down, and you just touch really it. yes. 
<laughs> yep. That's uh, that's too terrifying. Water, Tony. That's too <laughs> that's too terrifying. <laughs> yeah, they, it, you know the guy that's doing the calculation to determine the load and the right bungee setting. I'm just not. He better have no, a, a they, 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 they just say the water's so many feet deep and <laughs> they've got some capacity and you you only be under for, you know, less than a second. And if you That's bite, quick, if you bite quickly, you might get a trout. <laughs> might get a trout on the way out. That's, that's it, you know? There are no alligators in New Zealand, right? No, we don't have anything. <laughs> we don't have any poisonous stuff that will kill you. <laughs> okay, so we're really good. That's Australia. Everything Australia will kill you. Okay. But, yeah. yeah, from the locals down. Okay. <laughs> um, we just have lots of natural things that will kill you. Mm-hmm. You know, volcanoes, yeah. earthquakes, mm-hmm. uh, geothermal. Yeah. I mean, you would have seen our, our case here that we had a tourist attraction, you know, go to a site with a volcano. I did see that. And the volcano erupted and a whole lot of people died. And I'm sitting oh, going, dude. thinking, well, it is a volcano. <laughs> it, it doesn't give you advance notice that I'm no. about to explode. It's just, you know, doing its you thing. Take your chances. That's the same thing in riding an airplane. Well, I, I, actually, never fly with me because I always tell people that planes are guaranteed to come down. <laughs> <laughs> so it's because it's been controlled and uncontrolled. That's right. <laughs> the only difference. Um, but yes, yeah, positive control. We want positive control. Absolutely. And as you see, things still go wrong. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> things still go wrong. So if you think about, um, about the book, because this is an interesting conversation. Um, Todd always said to me, you've got to write, when you write a book, you've got to write three in a row. Mm-hmm. It's a, it's a really interesting conversation because you start the journey for people and people want to know, well, what's what's next? <laughs> and and we've been having this conversation recently about, um, particularly with books, particularly with books where we talk about supporting people and the how and, and, and the when. Should we start to develop a, uh, what we call a compendium to carry the thinking on. Hmm. Because just as you have seen, you've created this amazing body of work and you know that body of work's going to evolve. Yeah. So is, it, is the value in seeing how it evolves or is it as a new body of work? What's your hmm. thoughts? And which would be less painful? <laughs> Well, my reaction is, is thinking about a third book. I've actually thought about it, but it depends on need. You know, what's what's the what's the need in the industry? What's the need in operations? And that's where I'm going to go back to. And uh, and so, you know, to me, the need is at the manager level. You know, what does what do managers need to uh, better manage the risk, the uncertainty? Of human performance in high-risk operations, and uh, and I'm starting to to uh, to uh, uh, look at systems thinking. Mm-hmm. How do managers think in systems, and and, and to be useful, and uh, not to be so theoretical. I was on one okay. website. 
I was on one website on systems thinking and it they, they said, okay, what, what is this? What do beginners need on systems thinking? And the first thing they th started talking about were archetypes. And I thought to myself, that is the worst thing to start with. <laughs> you don't want to train managers on how to use archetypes. And most people don't know what an archetype is. And, uh, and so, so the idea is how can we get away from this, not necessarily get away, but it, to enhance managers' uh, uh, repertoire of ways of thinking about their operations uh, as far as they still need the linear cause and effect. That's still, that's still valuable. But how do you get them to start thinking in terms of how all these things create the context for performance when the risk is high? And, yeah. and, and so how do you get them to think proactively to better manage risk, but also how can you learn better uh, from a systems perspective when things don't go, don't go right? And, and, I, and I think there's a lot of, uh, I mean, we, we, we keep going back and, and looking at the history of things like lean mm -hmm. as well. Um, and there's just been as many failures as there have been successes. But we keep asking ourselves, what were those little nuggets? What were those some of those little threads that came from these things? And one of the things that's always empowered me from Deming's earlier work was getting managers to um, understand that it's been valued and non-valued activities. Right. So you talked about it as being waste. Mm -hmm. um, and, and, it's, and, it's no, and it's no different. Um, managers... Uh, always have a particular skill, always have something that they value well. And what they value is what they then try and place values onto others about. And just because you value something doesn't mean that someone else in your team values the same thing. Right. So so some of the other conversations we've been having recently with, with workers in particular is to get them to be able to express the value they see in components through narrative mm -hmm. and get them to reflect on that to get them to see the fact that it's okay to have different values and to see things differently and, and we talk about this concept and this is interesting from a manager's point of view is getting managers to see it through the eyes of others and not through their own eyes and that's the value of the conversations absolutely but to have that conversation that requires a little bit of skill, mm -hmm. but that skill, uh, and what and what we're experimenting with at the moment is, can that system actually build that skill without training being involved? I would say the answer is yes. Keep at it. Yeah, and and, and we think going back to one of your comments, Ron, is linking that uh, f f frequency of skill building with coaching and mentoring, mm -hmm. that reflective practice. Mm -hmm. Because if, if someone can't look back to see how they've progressed over time, why would they bother trying to move forward? <laughs> Very true. Because we're always in the present, aren't we? All, all, all our society these days, is all, we're a consumer society. It's all about the present. And and I don't and I think we've actually lost the knack of reflecting. Hmm. That's a, really that's the concepts of really doing a good post work review or post job review. 
reflect, reflect what went well, what didn't go so well, what did we intend to do, what did we actually do, and let's think, you know, why did we do it the way we did it? Yeah, it, we write in the book that, you know, systems thinking, thinking is actually um, explaining the difference between the workers imagined and the workers performed. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> and, and that's an important piece, right, is with that system thinking in the post-work review, um, there's that opportunity to, to step back, reflect, you know, and, and pick on what Tony just explained. And, and that type of system thinking isn't necessarily a, a linear thought pattern, right? There's a, there's a mix of things going on in there uh, to explain why the workers um, took those actions. And quite often, uh, you know, the, the work is done uh, could become the work as imagined because it was a more efficient, more uh, a safer way to do it, a, mm -hmm. a better way of doing it. And what I try to explain to supervisors and managers, because your folks aren't doing it as you imagine, doesn't mean they're doing it wrong. No, in fact, you're very likely doing it right, and you've got it written wrong, and <laughs> you, need to, you need to update your system uh, to reflect it. But, but I think it's the manager's desire to see data to support that is what they don't see at the moment. Right. Well, and it's hard right. to measure things that are always changing. They just like some static conditions. <laughs> well, and I, and I think that that's why this notion of of using um, uh, keywords and narrative and sentiment can be a way of actually seeing it, making it more visible. Right. That's why I think what you're doing is is going to be very valuable. Well, we're just we're just trying it out, and and and, and we've been trying it out in, in, in reasonably large scale numbers, but we've been trying out both in uh, uh, what we call high risk industries and lower risk industries. And the uh, the way we the language we use is organisations where it's dynamic risk mm -hmm. versus yep. organisations where it's static risk. So for me, you know, routine work, say like in a manufacturing environment, it's the, you know, the risk is very static. Whereas say, say construction sector, uh, you oh, know, yeah. forestry, very dynamic. Very dynamic. Yeah. Um, and you know, uh, you, you want that daily, you want that daily reflective practice and dynamic risk because of that frequency, all those things are important. You couldn't do that in a static environment. Mm -mm. It'd be it'd be too much for um, um for for people to uh, to do that. Uh, but but what we're seeing this is this is, I think this is the most fascinating part is that workers can see their own progression over time. And what we've also seen is that workers shift from being um, participants to actually um, running it, owning it. So this huge sense of ownership comes in. Mm -hmm. and, and the way we've been doing that, surprisingly, shockingly, is to run a learning team <laughs> with, with the workers. So that so they actually they actually end up um, doing it themselves. And, and what's been really interesting is that they have built these facilitative skills by themselves over time through actually just being curious. N no training was involved. A and on our website, we have a little video. We developed this little thing called a magnetic thinking frame. 
and, and it went onto the um, onto the uh, the hood of a of a truck, and we just put it on. The, they put it on the hood. They got a pen, and we sat back and we just watched them. And the thinking frame just basically had four words, and we sat back and we watched the guys interface with the thinking frame. Interesting. And what was interesting, and we did it as a quadrant, which forced logic flow, if that makes sense, forced them. But then what we did is we then saw them start to talk about the interrelationships between those things. Nice. So they said, so something here has an effect here. Mm-hmm. If that doesn't happen how we think it does, that has an effect over here. And it started to create a different conversation with them and they started to fill in more bits. They started recognizing context. Absolutely, because what happened was, what we realized is that these guys have have this concept of latent knowledge in their head as well, and that some of this information can't come out until they do some form of alignment. So they've got all got recall, they can all look at past experiences, but there's other knowledge that couldn't come out until it got triggered. And the conversation triggered that, and the framework created that flow to kick off with but not to control it. What shocked us was that when they finished, they then took this magnetic thing off the hood of the truck and they put it on the side of the truck. And we said, what's that for? Well, now that's going to be our board for um, briefing new people if they come on site, because as people change during the day, we're going to be checking off as things go along and we'll add other stuff on it and we'll use this to have a conversation at the end of the workday. And we'll use it to have a conversation about, and this is where the concept of what we had to make do. So they no longer talk about what went well, what didn't go well. They simply talk about where we had to make do. Because they know every day they're having to make do. But they know they've been successful by understanding about the make do. (laughs) And that make do component then fed into the next day. So it was really quite fascinating. What we saw over time was that the conversations grew. But what was interesting, the time it took them started to shrink. Hmm. So the post-reflection got bigger than the pre-start. So they spent more time in reflecting the day rather than saying, do we have all the conditions set for the day? Because I think what we found is that they, uh, I think going back to what you talked about, Ron, that's that skill, that chronic unease, that was like a mindset in the head. So the conversation was simply about giving context for that day because they knew that the start of the day and the end of the day had to be different. And, and they talked about, you know, uh, uh, work as planned, work as evolves, <laughs> then work is done, and then we had to make do. So they, they actually saw the day shifted into four different phases. Mm. And it was really fa- fascinating. Um, by these guys and all we did is we had a little QR code on the on the board that they had 
because everyone knows how to scan a QR code now. Is that, has that been the upside to COVID? Everyone can scan something. <laughs> um, and what they could do is they could they could scan that board, and that keeps a record for the organisation because that's their planning. Makes sense. That that's all the flow for the day. And then they were capturing that narrative of where they had to make do. And that created a, a pat over time. And then once a month, the guys got back together and they reflected over how things changed over a period of time. And, and, and I think that goes back to Deming's work. He basically says that you have to reflect back to know how to actually improve going forward. Because those improvements that the team's making, they are all micro changes. And I'd probably say, Ron, there's no thinking in that process. It's a doing action. Uh, like they're, not, they're not consciously thinking about that was an improvement. <laughs> I would agree. Yeah, it's a, we call that a micro change. But those micro changes build up to a macro change over time. Mm-hmm. So how do the guys now actually sit back and reflect over those things that have built up, which is what Deming talked about. Deming Deming said that, you know, you could take eight production lines and each team can have their own way of doing it. That's because they all think and work as a team and they improve as a team together. And the job of the organisation is to be curious when there are no changes. So have you heard that thing, embrace the red and fear the green? Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So Todd talks about you know, what's happening when nothing's happening. De- Deming mm-hmm. said, if, if, there, if there are no issues coming through, that's a bad sign. If people aren't stopping the production line, that is a bad sign. That you have to see those changes constantly happening. If that makes because they're saying, because that that tells us that people are actually in that that frame of managing risk, and the, and they've taken ownership, and going to the gimba is that just that notion of management being curious, and understanding why people are successful. You know, you ought to think about in your work. You ought to think about Rasmussen's um, safety space. Oh, lovers' work. You know, so, so, you know, people could be operating within that safety space. You could take those seven or eight different teams and they could be operating in different places in that safety space, yeah. doing the work differently, but still safe, still it's productive. Safe. Absolutely. So closing up, what's next, gentlemen? What is next? What's going to happen next? So you, you have the book tour. <laughs> we're we're in the process of figuring that out. We just got an. We in fact just today we got an email from Taylor and Francis, uh, prompting us to think about how we want to market the book. And this is part of the plan: is these podcasts. And so that's that's definitely. But you know, Ron and Jim and I have to get together and say, okay, how do we want to uh, get the word out on this on this book? And, uh, and so that's that's that's. One of the next next uh, steps, uh, but uh, right now, CRC Press has given us a November twenty second, yep, date November the twenty second of of twenty twenty one as the actual delivery date or publishing date. So that's where we are right now. Fantastic! And look, I mean, uh, once again, 
anybody of work that explores the how and the when, we are always keen to um, support. Yeah, and, and we're just about to release our book in hardcover because um, Amazon's doing hardcover now. So, because there are some people out there that that like that, and, and, and I was actually thinking of an episode of Seinfeld, Kramer. Do, do we do we do the hardcover book with the coffee table legs that come out? <laughs> so, if you don't like it as a book later on, you can turn it into a little place to put your coffee cup. There you go. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and of course, um, I, 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 was, I was saying to Tony earlier, our book got published in Portuguese a couple of months ago. What a deal! Yeah, which was great uh, with uh, Hugo Ribeiro and his crew over in over in Brazil. The new view of safety is is becoming very very um, uh, popular. Yeah, yeah. We I guess uh, going back to my previous book, risk based thinking, uh, an aviation company, an aviation or an aircraft manufacturing company made made the book the the book of the year for the company. So everybody's getting a copy of the book, and they asked me if it could be translated into Japanese. <laughs> so I said, that's up to you guys. <laughs> exactly. All right. Well, look, thank you all for joining us today. Um, it's, it's wonderful. I, I really hope it goes well for you. And, thank you, Brent. Uh, we'd love to connect back up with you at a certain time as well to see how it's tracking and the type of feedback that you had. But uh, no, I've really, I've really enjoyed it. And I think the book will do really, really well. And the type of stuff that you're putting forward is really needed right now. Thank you, Brent. So thank, thank you for all your pain and suffering <laughs> and, and book writing. And it was yes, rewarding. And your dedication to your partners and your spouses, I, I think that was also well deserved because yes, yeah, right. everyone goes through it through that process. Yeah, they have to live. They have to live with us. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and, and and during a pandemic. That, that's true. Yeah. It was a good way to spend a pandemic. Yeah. <laughs> Look, it, it was good. To, you could say it was for your mental health. Could be, yeah. <laughs> Thanks for that. inviting us, Brent. No, look, thank you. Everyone, take care. Thank you, listeners, for being part of this podcast. We would love to hear your learnings or other topics you would like us to explore about learning teams. Go to www.podcastlearnings.com and give us your feedback. Become part of the community of practice with learning teams. Go to www.learningteamscommunity.com. Support the authors of the practice of learning teams. Purchase the book from Amazon.com or go to www.learningteamsbook.com for an inside look and other free book resources from the authors. The views and opinions expressed on this podcast are those of the host and its guest and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of the company. Examples of analysis discussed within this podcast are only examples. They should not be utilized in the real world as the only solution available as they are based only on very limited and dated open source information. Assumptions made within this analysis are not reflective of the position of the company. No part of this podcast may be reproduced, stored in a retrieval system, or transmitted in any any form or by any means, mechanical, electronic, recording, or otherwise without prior written permission of the creator of the podcast, Jay Allen.